chapter 1 is where we want to go this morning. Oh, uh, Sunday school, yeah, sorry. This is chapter 1. <clears throat> Reading from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruits yield seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to every thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, particularly verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Human beings are the most creative, the most imaginative, the most innovative, the most intuitive beings on the face of the earth. Every man, every woman, Every boy, every girl that God ever created, he has endowed with incredible powers of imagination and creativity. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, when God caused all the animals to pass by before Adam, and Adam named every single one of them. We see it particularly in Genesis 11. Uh, where it got to such a stage in, in, in Babel where it says that God looked down and he saw their wickedness and so forth. But then he said something very telling in verse 6. He said, Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Such was their powers of imagination and creativity. Throughout biblical and secular history, it has been shown and again and again this unique God-given quality of imagination and creativity. The architectural wonders of the ancient world. Even today, men are still arguing about the pyramids. How in the world did they engineer such a feat? It's incredible. Anybody who's ever been to Greece and has seen those uh, great temples and saw those columns rising up, again would marvel. And of course, the Romans' ability uh, to build roads, which after 2,000 years is still the template for our modern-day highways. The Appian Way, I don't know if you've ever stood in the Appian Way in Rome, but it was called the Queen of the Roads. It was built over three centuries before Christ, Stretches for 430 miles, most of it actually straight. It was the largest, widest, fastest road that was ever built. And 29 such roads fan out from Rome 
to all the then-known world. Whenever Hitler built his autobahn system in Germany, he copied the idea because he too was thinking about his military expansionist programs into all of Europe. And he needed roadways for all of his armaments to go, just like the Romans did. I have stood in the Pantheon in Rome. It's an incredible building, one of the oldest and most preserved of all the Roman buildings. And it is a a dome-shaped structure, 142 feet wide, 142 feet tall. And the dome actually is built in in an incredible way. Architects from all over the world wonder at it, how these people over 2,000 years ago had got the wisdom and the ability to do such a thing because it's built of concrete. By the way, concrete is not the invention of ReadyMix or ReadyUse or McLaughlin and Harvey's. Concrete was invented by the Romans. But they did something very clever. At the base of the dome, it's 23 feet thick. And they mixed in the con- within the concrete uh, travavine, which is a heavy material. But as it goes up, it then becomes mixed with pumice stone, which is uh, volcanic rock, which is very, very light. And as it goes up, it narrows. So it's 23 feet at the bottom and it's 5 feet at the top, built in a dome shape with heavier materials at the bottom and lighter materials at the top. And there's a 33-foot hole right at the very apex of the building. There's no light in the building other than what comes through that hole. And here's the amazing thing. Because of the, the way our earth spins on its axis means that we see the sun at a different angle every hour of the day. And when you stand in there, I've got a photograph of it, you see that shaft of light coming from the sun. And as the earth spins on its axis, the shaft of light goes around and it hits all their gods that are on plinths high up in the dome. It's an incredible building actually to stand in the sea. And because not only would light come in that building and that hole in the roof, but rainwater would come in there too. And so they built the floor that's high in the middle and it slopes down to the edges all around till there's holes around the side to take the water away. And to think that that was done 2,000 years ago and the great cathedral of Florence copied that dome and Michelangelo copied the dome in, in St. Peter's in the Vatican. And the Americans copied the dome. In Washington, D.C., Capitol Building, that dome is copied from something that was built 2,000 years ago. And so man has got a, an incredible ability to create and imagine. And today, of course, we have far exceeded all of that. Today we have split the atom. We've gone to the moon. We have invented computerization and, of course, a million other things for by some good and some bad. All of you here today, every single one without exception, you have innate, God-given gifts and abilities and talents. Some of you are, and I'm not going to mention any names because if I do then, I'll leave somebody out. Some of you are creative thinkers. You can visualize, you can see things that others can't see. 
You can visualize it long before anybody else can see it. Some of you are very skilled with your hands. You can design and you can build things with your hands very cleverly. Some of you are highly intelligent and your intelligence has furthered your career. Some of you have been gifted musically and you can make music and melody that is just beautiful to listen to. Some of you are singers and your song delights people whenever they hear it. Some of you have accountancy skills. You're good with numbers. Some of you are good communicators and you're salesmen and you can close the deal. Some of you, you run and have made your own business and you've got the ability to conduct business. So why am I saying this? What is my point? Well, I want you to know that you are individually unique. You're one of a kind, wrapped up in you is God-given set of skills and abilities and talents and gifts that make you second to none. God has put within you the right ingredients to make you who you are today. So in the light of all of these things, here's what I want you to consider today. First of all, do not waste the gifts, the abilities, the talents that God has put in you. It's so easy to fritter away your abilities and go through all of your life and look back and think, do you know, I wasted a lot of my life. I could have been doing things. I have capabilities that I haven't used. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. So that's Solomon's quaint way of saying, while you're still alive, do all that you can do. Do it when you can do it. Do it where you can do it. God has given you abilities and gifts. Use them for His glory. Up until Jesus was 30 years old, up until he was 30 years old, he was a carpenter. Now, we know that he was the eldest son of, in a big family. We also know that probably early on that Joseph, his earthly father, had died. And so that left him, in a way, the chief breadwinner. So all of those skills that Joseph had taught him and nurtured within him, all of those skills and abilities came to the fore and it caused Jesus to be the provider for his household. What skills he must have had. I don't think there'd have been any shoddy, half-hearted work done in his workshop. Do you agree with me? I think he would have done everything with excellence. And I'm sure... Maybe during that, from he was a boy till he was 30, that maybe 20 over 20 year period, apart from the Sabbath, I'm sure there was not one single day when he didn't have in his hand a hammer or a saw or a piece of wood or something that he was molding, he was making, he was using in a creative way. 
Don't waste your abilities, your gifts, and your talents that God has given you. Use them. And use them for God's glory. Secondly, be grateful for the talent you've got. Even if it's just one. I know that some of you really, really struggle with this business, what can I do? What have I got? What ability, what gift, what talent do I have? Some of you really struggle and wonder what that is. Trust me, you have it. It's there. Because, why? Because we were made in God's image. And God is the ultra, He's ultra creative. He's the one with the greatest imagination. He created all things. And a part of that creativity and imagination, He has built into us, all of us. Walt Disney calls it imagineering. He doesn't call it engineering. He calls it imagineering. That was his great slogan. And God has given this to us. You say, well, what is my one talent? Well, come with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of the talents. Now, I understand and I know, and as you would too, of course, that the talents in this parable represents money. And they were to trade with money. But in order to trade with their money, then they had to use their creativity, their imagination, their inbuilt abilities in order to do what their master wanted them to do. So Matthew chapter 25, reading from verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, 
Even that which he has will be taken away and cast into the unprofitable servant into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Luke 19 has got a similar parable to this. It's called the parable of the pounds or the parable of the minas. You don't need to turn to that. I'm not going to read it. It's similar, but it's distinctly different. Similar in, in that there's men trading using their abilities and their gifts in order to enhance what has been given to them by their master. But, and there are several differences. And just to point one out to you, in the parable of the pounds, there's ten, and each of them get exactly the same one pound to go out and do with it what they could. In this parable in 25, the parable of the talents, there's only three. And you see here that one of them receives five talents, one of them receives two talents, one of them receives one talent. But the key to understanding this and the key difference in this than the other parable is in verse 15. Each was given according to his own ability. Each was given according to his own ability. One got five talents. The five-talent man got five talents because his master knew his level of competence and ability. The two-talent man got two talents because, again, his master knew his level of ability and competence. The one-talent man, again, got one talent because his master knew the level of his ability and his competence. Now, wouldn't it have been unfair of the master if he had given the one-talent man five talents or even two talents because that would have taken him beyond his level of competence and ability? And that would have been unfair of his master to do that. His master was very, very fair. And God is very fair with us. He gives to us talents and abilities that's suitable for our level of ability and competence. And if we have only one talent, it's because he knows that's what we can handle. If he gives us more than that, it's because he knows we can handle more. So God is very, very fair in his dealings with all of us. He does not expect us to do more than we're capable of producing. Did you hear me? He does not expect us to do more than we're capable of producing. But as you read the parable, you'll see that it shows that he doesn't expect us to do less than we're capable of producing. Even though he wanted all of them to do more than they were capable of producing in the sense that their talents would be used and they could produce more, but he certainly didn't want them to produce less And the one-ton guy produced less than what he was able to do. And that's what condemned him. So don't be like that man who buried his talent, who did not trade with it, who did not use it in any way. In fact, he completely misunderstood his master. In fact, he wasn't very complimentary about his master. He says he was a hard man. He didn't play fair. You know, 
He, he reaps where he hasn't sown. He's a hard taskmaster this. And that was not true. His master was being very fair. It had been unfair if he had given him more than he had been able to do with, but he gave him what he could work with and what was his level of ability and competence. So whatever talent you've got, whether it's five or two or just the one, that's what God knows you can handle. And that's what he expects you to handle. Because he's a fair God. And one day, all of us will be accountable for that talent he has given us. Third thing is this. God delights in using gifts and talents and abilities that aren't always on public display. You see, some of us, our gifts and talents will be on public display. That's unavoidable. It's just the nature of it, of whatever you do. But there's others, and the nature of their talent and ability will not be on public display. But that doesn't mean it's it's less important. Sally and I, this past week, as a birthday treat, we were in a hotel for a couple of nights. Now, you know that in a hotel, there's what they call front of house, front of house staff. The receptionists, concierge. You know, if it's a posh hotel, they may have porters and people to carry your bag. You know, the, the, these are front of staff. Your waitresses, your waiters. These are the ones you see all the time. These are the ones that that are supposed to put best foot forward because they're dealing with the public all the time. They're not always, but they're supposed to. So these are the ones that you will immediately become in contact. And if you're in a hotel for three or four nights, you will get to recognize your waiters and waitresses and so forth. But then there's other staff who work behind the scenes. There's the cleaners. There's the maintenance crew. You know, there's the gardeners. There's all kinds of people like the chefs and the cooks that you never usually get to see except by accident. You know, you sleep in and get a wee knock at the door. Housekeeping. You're thinking, go away. I'm under the duvet. I'm on my holidays. But other than that, you don't get to see them. But are they any less important because you don't get to see them? In fact, in some ways, they become more important. If you come back and your bed's not made and your bathroom's a tip the way you left it, <laughs> you're not very pleased, are you? Because somebody's getting paid to do that job and they're not doing it. And it's only then you actually begin to think about them, isn't it? Otherwise, you never even think about it. If you're on an airplane... You rarely ever get to see the captain. You might hear him at the beginning of the flight. You say, this is your captain speaking. Today our route will take us over. We'll be flying for so many hours at such such a height. Sit back and enjoy that. And that's about it. But we don't need to see the captain. I don't want the captain come and serve me my food. There's a cabin staff for that. I'd be worried if he comes and serves me my food. I just want him to sit there in that seat and pay attention to those dials. 
He's the most gifted man on that plane. He's the most talented man on that plane. He's the highest paid man on that plane. Just sit in that seat and just fly in that thing for me, please. <laughs> Don't wonder about it. It's disconcerting when you see the captain or the, some of the flight crew walking about. Do you ever see that an odd time where they walk about? Have a wee look and you're thinking, who's flying this thing? <laughs> Chances are nobody's flying it. It's computers flying it. What used to be even worse was years ago when you're actually allowed into the cockpit, you, you know, I always ask to get in to see it and have a wee chat with them. And you walk in and they're sitting reading the paper. <laughs> Both of them. With their feet up. That's a wee bit disconcerting. Until you understand that that's just the way it is. The computer flies the thing. In fact, they can land the thing by computer. If they want it to. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 14. Paul says, Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am only an ear and not an eye, would that make any less part of a body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if your whole body were just one big ear, then how would you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and He has put each part where He wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. And the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, Paul writing to the Corinthians, who was the most gifted and the most charismatic of all of the churches, but their trouble was they were getting into fights and arguments and there was competition between them and who had the greatest gifts and so forth and so on. So Paul's trying to put them straight here. Let him know that all of them are important. But within that great diversity, there should not be a competition between them. That there is a diversity within the body. And when that diversity is used within the body, then it becomes a unified whole thing moving together. And then he goes on in verse 22. He says, in fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. Isn't it interesting that up until very, very recently, I'm talking within this past couple of years, that for probably for centuries, the argument was that the appendix and the tonsils did not serve any purpose in the human body. That was just what was left over from our evolutionary journey. And I never discovered, no, it, actually these things are important and they do play a role within our body. God put them there for a reason. Same with our DNA. For years and years we've been told there's such a thing as junk DNA left over from our evolutionary journey. That not all DNA is used today. It's just junk DNA. Now they're discovered, no, it's not junk at all. It's all being used. It always was and always will be because that's God's design. Then he says, verse 23, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. 
So we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. Don't need to explain that, do you? Hmm? Aren't you glad for that? While other parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts, parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So within any body of believers, such as this body of believers, there are those parts that are much more visible that are much more easily seen than others by nature of the role they play. But there's others who are more behind the scenes, that you don't notice the same, but they are equally, if sometimes more important than those who are publicly seen. And if all of us work together in this and understand our roles together and do our roles together, then the body is healthy and the body is strong. This is what Paul is saying. And so even though you may have only one talent, one gift, one ability, one thing to do, it's important that you do it. It's important for you that you do it. It's important for the whole body of Christ that you do it. Because you're not a spare part. You're an important part of the body of Christ. So find out which part you are, which part you play. And then do that. Some of you say, well, I'm, I'm old now. I haven't got the energy. I can't do what I used to do, perhaps, and when I was younger, and so forth and so on. But you can pray. You can intercede. Maybe because you're no longer in a working day job, you have more time to do that and to pray for the individual needs of others than maybe others have that are out there in the workplace. So let's not cop out. Let's say, well, there's something I can do. There's something God has given me and I'm going to do it for his glory. And that brings me to the last part. Whatever ability you have, glorify God with it and glorify God for it. Those of you who have gone to Ukraine will remember the little children, Sunday school children. They came on Sunday dressed in their best, their best Sunday togs. And they were beautiful. Their hair was done lovely. And you'd have said to them, you are beautiful. And they always said, all glory to God. <laughs> they taught them to say it. All glory to God. <laughs> and even though that seems a childish little thing, and even though they were taught to say that, but there's a truth in that. Whatever we can do, whatever God has gifted us with, whatever abilities we have, let's glorify God with it, and let's give Him the glory for it. It's as simple as that. Do you ever stop and think, whatever you're doing? Now, I, I love taking photographs whenever... Let me get, let you into a little married secret here with Sally and me, all right? Like this past couple of days, we were away. Sunshine was beautiful. Had my camera with me. 
Of course, can't resist taking photographs, beautiful landscapes, lovely. Sally, it bores her to tears. So she sits in the car while I go for an hour taking photographs, right? And she reads a book or paper or something. And she doesn't complain, so that's fine. So we come back, and to be a dutiful husband and to make things equal, then we'll go into some town somewhere and a little retail therapy for the ladies. We'll go into the shops, and I'm in there two minutes, and I am bored stiff. So I say to her now, I sit in the car, you go ahead, you do your shop there on your own, you'll be better at it on your own anyway, and I read the paper, do something so, and that's a good compromise, and that's the secret of a happy marriage gentleman. <laughs> 46, it took me years to learn that, but I've learned that well, and so that works just perfectly well, all right? But I meant to say this, whenever I'm taking those photographs, sometimes I just stop, and I thank the Lord for what I'm looking at. The beauty of God's creation is marvelous. It's wonderful. And for the technology we have today and for the limited ability I have to use that technology, it's grand. It's great. I wish I had more ability, but I use what I have, and it's grand. It's wonderful. And when you see it on your computer screen, you look at it and think, you know what? I'm glad I did that today because that's a memory that I have now that I can keep just looking at that, all right? And that'll put it up on Facebook for somebody else to enjoy. Right? Especially those who don't live in Ireland and they live abroad and they see the beauty of our wee country. Might encourage some tourists to come. That'd be a good idea. She get a job with a tourist board. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul says, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In fact, it was so good he said it twice. In 2 Corinthians 10, 17, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And in this lovely verse to finish, Colossians 3, 17, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do in word or deed, Try to think of it in terms, how can I make this glorify God in my life? How can I make this a reflection of God's gift in me? How can I thank God for this? What will I do or say that will glorify God in this situation? And whenever we do that, then we're reflecting that glory back onto Him again. He gives us a little touch of His blessing. And we say, thank you, Lord. And that reflects and that shines on him. Amen? That they may see your good works and what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray.